Welcome to Piedmont Arts. I'm Rachel Stewart. Mandolin and guitar virtuoso Robin Bullock will be performing as part of Music at St. Albans in Davidson on Sunday, November 22nd at 3 p.m. He'll play a concert of Celtic and classical music, which will feature selections by Bach, Stephen Foster, and Turla O'Carrollin. And the concert will be streamed at the Facebook pages of both Music at St. Albans and WDAV. Robin, it's good to have you here today. Thanks for joining Great. us. Thanks for having me. To start out, how, how are you doing and how are you working in the pandemic? I bet it's different. It's different. I'm actually doing all right. I am very lucky and very blessed to be able to say that. Before the pandemic hit, I had started getting a little more serious about uh, teaching online and was developing a stable of students. And then when everything shut down and everybody went into quarantine, like all other touring musicians, all of my gigs went poof in a matter of days for the rest of this year and probably the foreseeable future. And I was able to develop the teaching practice to the point that it's almost a full-time job, really. And so I've been able to stay home and, and share with other people what I do and you know pass along some skills and some ideas and so on. And that's keeping me going. Interesting. So if the coronavirus hadn't hit, that part of your uh, business probably wouldn't have gone as taken well, off as quickly? It, it or? probably wouldn't have developed it to the point that I have. Uh, I mean, for one thing, I probably wouldn't have had time because I'm, you know, I, I'd have been on the road a lot more. I mean, I, I've taught for many, many years. So teaching has always been a part of me. It's always been part of my, my musical life. I agree with Keith Richards, who said that the greatest uh, epitaph a musician could have is they passed it on. So I, I feel like that's kind of part of my responsibility as a musician is to is to pass it on and pass it down. Whatever, whatever I know, whatever I have learned myself is passed on to other people. So it's I mean, in a way, it kind of makes sense that, that this is something I, I developed now that we're all sort of forced to stay home. But no, I probably wouldn't have have gotten this busy with it if if I had been on the road a lot. So it may be something of a blessing in disguise. Tell us about the performing you're doing, you know, the concert you've got coming up on November 22nd is not <laughs> the, w the way people normally experience concerts. How is that going to work? Well, uh, the, the concert on the 22nd is actually pre-recorded. I already did it. So so you'll be watching a recording that, that happened, uh, I guess, about a month ago. But what performing I have been doing has been online. It's been mostly live streams, meaning, you know, it's happening right then and there in real time, uh, but sometimes pre-recordings as well. What is strange about it is the fact that there's no live audience, so you don't get quite the immediate response. Uh, I, as a musician, if I play, kind of like teaching, it's almost a sharing. When I play, I feel like I'm sharing something that's, that's really meaningful to me and, and that I find really beautiful. And because I find it so beautiful, I want to share it with other people. And in a live situation, you get the immediate feedback, not just the applause, but the sense of you can tell you've reached somebody and they're sending you energy and you're sending them energy. And it's like this two way flow of energy. Obviously you can't really get that if you're playing to a camera in, in an otherwise empty room. So we've all just had to get used to that because it's just the way things are by necessity right now. The, the, the first couple that I did really felt strange but I think we've all kind of adjusted. <laughs> You're right. I think a lot of folks have figured out how to share their music online and 
those of us who are audience members are finding it online. Yeah. It's been interesting to, to sort of see that evolution and a fairly quick one, actually, the yeah. transition well, that people have made. I'm, I'm very grateful, again, that, that this technology exists now. I, I find myself thinking if this pandemic had hit, say, you know, even 10 or 15 years ago, we wouldn't have had these options to do okay. things virtually online in real time. And I wonder when, you know, when the pandemic is over, when a vaccine is found or whatever, and we all go back to quote unquote normal life, life as it was before, I wonder how much of this virtual interaction and online interaction will continue, not as a substitute or a replacement, but as an alternative. Because there are advantages. One of the nice things about uh, both both teaching online and playing concerts online is it's it's not geographically limited. You, you can tune in from anywhere in the world. Right. And and I mean, at the moment, I've got students in Colorado and Texas and Rhode Island and all over the place. And we wouldn't be able to do that if it weren't for this online technology. And the same is true with, when I do a concert, or for that matter, when somebody else does a concert. I like to I like to watch live stream concerts. And it's nice to be able to see someone perform that I might not otherwise be able to, to see because they don't tour my part of the country. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much, how much of this way of doing things stays. Yeah. Speaking of of your performances and what's coming up on November 22nd, you're, you know, the program or the little note on the website does say that you're going to play Bach, Stephen Foster, <laughs> Turla O'Carroll, and, and <laughs> yeah, well, so you have a folk background, but you also play some classical music. And I'm just, right. can you talk a little bit about how those are related for you in your mind? Or, you know, if you have yeah, to approach them differently or. I, I don't think I really approach them differently. No. Um, I think all of the music I play, I, I play because it resonates with me on, on an emotional level. Yeah, my background is folk, I suppose you could say. But I mean, you know, I, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in suburban Washington, D.C. Your, your, your basic, you know, suburban middle class American white kid uh, didn't really discover traditional music until I came across it on records. So, I, you know, I, I didn't grow up in any particular folk tradition myself. And along the way, I was taking classical piano lessons and singing in choirs. So I had that sort of quote unquote legitimate musical background. But the first music I got really serious about as a player was, was Appalachian music, uh, bluegrass and old time music, which I discovered through through stumbling across a few Doc and Merle Watson records. You know, that, that that's how a that's how a suburban kid from Washington, DC finds out about this kind of music. Um, and so I got I became really passionate about it and, and started you know, chasing it down and, and going to festivals and meeting great musicians and, and you know, eventually got some, you know, something resembling roots in the, in the traditions and then discovered Irish music pretty much the same way through, through hearing the Bothy Band and the Chieftains on records you know, and only later discovering that Washington DC and Baltimore were, were great Irish music towns. Uh, with lots of master musicians living right there. So, um, so again, I was able to eventually have somewhat more of an authentic experience of, of the music. But in both cases, I kind of came to it as an outsider. But I think what I got from that was, was a sense that it's all music. It's all good. And it all deserves respect. It all deserves dignity. And 
what speaks to me in a traditional Irish or Appalachian fiddle tune is a lot of the same things that speak to me in a Bach fugue or a you know traditional American folk song or a, a lute piece by John Dowland or whatever. I mean, I've not really tried to make this any particular kind of statement, but I did make an album a few years back that was equal parts Bach, Dowland, and Carolyn. And part of the idea there was to show that although they are each very unique and they come from three different uh, musical traditions, still there's not a million miles between them, you know? So yeah, these days uh, I've added an, a new element to it, I suppose you could say, because a few years ago, I was touring as a sideman with Tom Paxton, the great folk singer, songwriter. And he asked me if I'd ever considered making an album of traditional American folk songs, just classic American folk songs that we all know, interpreted on guitar. And I thought that sounded like a great idea. So, uh, so I did that. And that's the most recent album that just came out a couple months ago called an American guitar album. So you mentioned that I played some Stephen Foster in the uh, concert that's coming up and that's because yeah there are three Stephen Foster songs on the album I consider that classic American but now I find myself almost kind of coming full circle with, with this new album I'm playing the American folk songs that I personally grew up with and some of the first stuff that I played on guitar and blending it in with the traditional Celtic music that I suppose I'm probably more known for and of course the Baroque and Renaissance music that I've gotten more into as a performer in recent years, Bach and Dowland and Telemann and so on. And all of it together, to me, makes uh, a complete musical statement. I think it's it's been interesting over the years, you know, working at a classical music station to see, particularly I think with Bach, how many musicians who primarily work in different genres mm -hmm. are able to take his music mm -hmm and really make it their own and well and i mean there's no reason not to if, if you you know if, if you have the deg a degree of musical literacy that allows you to to execute the stuff then um i i think it's you know it's every bit as deep and and powerful as as the traditions that i work in and you know bach himself was for for all of his sublime and transcendent musical genius he was very much a man of the people and you see that in some of his some of his music, some of the instrumental suites, of course, the Baroque suites are largely based on dance tune forms, Alamond, Courant, Sarabande, and so on. And there are some, I mean, I'm thinking in particular, the Gavats of the sixth cello suite. I've always thought that if Bach himself hadn't composed those, they probably would have existed anyway as traditional German dance tunes. Because I mean, they're just very, very folky tunes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So I really get the impression that that you know Bach knew his way around the German folk music of his time. He knew the songs that were being sung in the street outside his window, and and he was fond of them. Yeah, I think it's worth remembering, you know, that there are um, those kinds of origins with classical yeah. music, you know, oh, yeah. dance music, folk music. Well, and if, if you go back into the Baroque even, and certainly back into the Renaissance, the line between art music and folk music was much fuzzier than it is now. There wasn't this wall between I am a classical musician and I, on the other hand, am a mere folk musician, you know. <laughs> art musicians were, were expected to be able to improvise. And even as late as the 18th, 19th centuries in Scotland, for example. Scottish fiddlers were often concert violinists as well. You know, somebody would play a concerto in the afternoon and then go down to the dance hall and play for a dance in the evening. And that was just normal? 
that was just normal. Yeah. And, and I think it should be. Well, it sounds like that's kind of how you do it. I, I'd like to think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't kid myself that I'm a classical musician. I'm not. I'm a folky playing classical repertoire, but I do try to play it in a way that, that the way I put it is when I play Bach, I try to play Bach, not Celtic Bach or bluegrass Bach or, but Bach, just Bach. That's what I, you know, I, I really try to get as close as I can to what it's supposed to be doing on instruments that I already know how to play. Well, I guess it's worth bringing up here that, uh, a few years ago, three, four years ago, you did release the Bach cello suites on mandolin. Right. I did, yeah. Well, volume one, the first three suites. I'm still working on, on the next on volume two. two. And, <laughs> and why is it that you chose to do it on the mandolin and not the guitar? Is it because the mandolin is, uh, it's a little bit more like a violin, isn't it, in the way it's strung? Right, exactly. It's tuned in fifths. Uh, it's tuned exactly the same as a violin and, uh, and, and in fifths, which is also uh, like a cello. Um, no real reason other than that uh, mandolin is kind of my other primary instrument besides guitar. And I guess the, the way I got into it in the first place was was I got, uh, I, I bought a really, really sweet old 1920 Gibson mandolin about 10 years ago. And I wanted to incorporate it into my solo performances. I was playing and still now continue to play primarily solo. And mandolin is not the ideal solo instrument. It doesn't have the depth of the guitar. It doesn't lend itself to counterpoint as well. So I was trying to figure out what can I do with one mandolin by itself in a concert setting. And I sort of vaguely remembered that Bach had composed some works for unaccompanied violin and for unaccompanied cello. So I thought, okay, great. I'll, I'll learn like one movement of a cello suite and that'll be my Bach party piece and that'll be that. <laughs> so, so, I learned, so I learned the prelude from cello suite number one, you know, the one that everybody knows. And I had so much fun working it out on mandolin. I thought, oh, hey, that's cool. Let's see what the next movement is like. And, you know, moved on to the Allemande and one thing led to another. And eventually I just got the idea of, well, hey, let's, let's just, let's see if I can do the whole thing. Let's see if I can do the whole cycle, all six suites on, on this little instrument. And I did try it on other instruments. I mean, there are lower pitched instruments of the mandolin family. And I tried on, I tried it on those instruments and I kept coming back to the mandolin for some reason. I just thought, well, if we're going to move it from a bowed instrument to a plucked instrument in the first place, it's going to change it enough that it's not really going to matter if I change it that much more by moving it to a higher pitched instrument. And basically nobody had done it before. People have done the cello suites on guitar, but they've not, as far as I know, nobody's done it on mandolin. And, and it does work a little bit better because the mandolin is tuned in fifths, the guitar is not. They're obviously written for an instrument that's tuned in fifths because they lie very logically in that tuning. The thing about it is, here again, you got to keep in mind about Bach, I don't think he really cared what instrument you played the music on. And I can, I can support that argument with the fact that uh, one of the cello suites, uh, number five, also exists as a lute suite. So obviously he didn't really care if it was on a bowed instrument or a plucked instrument or what key it was in. Well, I think he repurposed a lot of music too. He did. A lot I think they all did actually. Oh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the violin partitas is a lute suite as well. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything sacred. Glenn Gould, the great pianist, used to say that Bach had a sublime instrumental indifference. <laughs> and I think that's a, that says it pretty well. 
Well, Robin, I want to thank you for talking to us today. And I, I would say good luck with the concert, but you've already recorded it. <laughs> I hope it went okay. <laughs> I do too. I guess we'll find out, you know, yes. on the 22nd. <laughs> but it's always great talking to you. And thank you. Likewise. See you again. We've been speaking with guitarist and mandolinist Robin Bullock, who will present a streamed concert as part of music at St. Albans and Davidson on Sunday, November 22nd at 3 p.m. And you can enjoy it via the Facebook pages of both Music at St. Albans and WDAV. And for Piedmont Arts, I'm Rachel Stewart.